finding those individuals, people who will say that this really is a possibility if this is something you want to try mm. out. Clearly having some funding to actually pay your salary helps. <laughs> <laughs> and But actually having a program that uh, that was specifically designed to give people early on in their clinical pathway exposure to, to research and teaching. You've been listening to Professor John Emery, Herman Professor of Primary Care Cancer Research and Director of PC4, talk about the pathways for general practitioners interested in research. You're listening to Cheers with Peers from the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4, who support the development of high-quality cancer research in primary care. Welcome to Cheers with Peers, a podcast from PC4. It's the machete that cuts through the jungle that is research. I'm Sabelle Sayer, a PhD student working on bowel cancer screening in primary care. In today's episode, you'll hear from Professor John Emery talking about GP pathways to research and sharing his own experience. Thanks very much for joining us today, John. So we're talking about GP pathways to research, and I know this is a path that you've trod. Initially, can I ask you, very few GPs make that leap into academia. So I, we wanted to ask you initially, why did why did you? Yeah, it's a good question. As you say, it's a, it's a bit of a rare career pathway for GPs. I suppose, I, I mean, like most junior doctors, you spend lots of years doing your clinical training, and I had decided I wanted to go into general practice quite early on because I liked the sort of breadth of clinical experience that you get. I'd had a bit of research experience as an undergraduate medical student in Cambridge and quite enjoyed that. But I had never really considered it until I was in my final year as a GP registrar and met a, an, an academic GP who worked at Southampton University. And she was just starting to create what at the time was a very new idea of academic registrar posts. So the idea of extending a year's training uh, after you've finished clinical training and doing some research. So we chatted about that. At the time, she hadn't quite got the funding for this. So I actually went off and spent a year as a GP in rural New South Wales. Mm -hmm. And then I came back after that and got a bit more clinical experience and and had got in touch with Jenny Field was her name and at that time they had managed to get funding to create this sort of very first academic registrar position and I had by then really decided that actually a an academic career pathway was something I was very interested in Mm. and I wanted something that was more than just full-time clinical work and there was you know as you work clinically you discover there are all sorts of areas that are not well researched Mm. and so that was my sort of first opportunity to have a bit of exposure to working in an academic department and from then that prompted me to go looking to get funding for a a PhD. Right so it sounds like meeting this person and and being part of this Mm. program was quite serendipitous so within that program or perhaps outside of it as well what were the facilitators Mm. for you to become an academic GP? Yes look I think finding those individuals people who will say that this really is a possibility if this is something you want to try Mm. out clearly having some funding to actually pay your salary helps (laughs) (laughs) and but actually having a program that uh, that was specifically designed to give people early on in their clinical pathway exposure to to research and teaching. Mm -hmm. 
And that was, so I think there's two critical pieces, finding a supportive department who also does research that you're interested in. And at that time, even back then, I was very interested in genetics because it was then that the BRCA mutations had recently been described. Mm-hmm. And there was lots of hype about that. And even in our GP training program back then, we were having sessions around genetics right. because we could see that this was going to have a big impact on our practice. Mm. And so Southampton, there was a group there in the Department of General Practice who were interested in how genetics was going to affect general practice. And so, again, it was very serendipitous to yep. find a department that was working on stuff that I found interesting and and a funding scheme and a supervisor. Fantastic. So perhaps this is a bit of a controversial question, but why bother? It's a very well-trodden path to stay in your GP clinic, (laughs) you know, good salary, nice security. Why bother making that foray into research? Look, I think it it is a more challenging pathway. Mm. And of course, you've always got the fallback to go back if it doesn't work (laughs) out. But it's a very exciting career pathway as well. And it allows, you know, that sort of exposure to a much broader range of of different academic fields, clinical fields, and to hopefully be contributing to the further development of your own discipline, generating evidence that hopefully will improve clinical practice, Mm -hmm. will inform policies around uh, uh, particularly advances in clinical medicine and how they become relevant to, to GPs and what they do clinically. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a fantastic career. Yeah. <laughs> um, I find it very stimulating and I've met lots of really interesting people. But it is challenging, particularly early on, mm. because, as you say, you have to make that decision to accept, particularly in those first few years, a, a much lesser salary mm-hmm. than uh, just going into work f- full-time clinically. And so that is the downside. And at the time, you know, we had two young kids and... And Sue was working at home a lot of the time. And Mm. so we made that decision to stay on what was still a relatively low salary compared to if I'd gone into full-time clinical work. Mm -hmm. Eventually you catch up. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually. Good to know. So on that subject of of working clinically, Mm. an academic career may or may not facilitate doing Mm. both. So I wonder how important you think it is to to keep a, Mm. a foot in the clinical world. Yeah, look, I think it is important. And until very recently, I was still seeing patients regularly. And in general practice, particularly when you move countries, you you need to really understand the local healthcare context because actually you, you don't understand the challenges that GPs face, which are quite specific to the healthcare setting in which they work. Mm-hmm. It keeps you very grounded and reminded of actually what the challenges are from day-to-day clinical practice and hopefully helps you to answer or identify research questions that actually do have relevance to that day-to-day practice. Yeah, keeps you thinking, well, what's the point of all this research? That's right. It's not all just about academic ivory tower questions. It has to be about things that uh, eventually will have a direct impact on patient care in the general practice setting. Mm. So for those GPs who are sitting in their, their clinic who might have some burning questions, research questions they'd like to answer, do you have any advice for them to make mm. that first step into, into research? Yeah. Look, I think there are ways that GPs in Australia even can 
become involved in research. It's challenging because of the little issues of, of funding always. And there are different routes into becoming involved in research. There are various practice-based research networks around the country, and, and for example, the University of Melbourne has one called VicREN, mm -hmm. which has allowed GPs who are interested in becoming involved in research to liaise closely with the Department of General Practice. They have the ability to become increasingly involved at different levels. You know, they can help generate research questions that come directly out of their day-to-day -day clinical experience. They can become investigators on a, on a particular study and contribute in that way. And, you know, ultimately, they can take the option to do more, more formal research training. So that's one routine. Of course, mm. we do also have... So a lot of GPs, after they've spent quite a long time, full-timers in the clinical role, will decide they would like to do something different. And so getting involved in research and or teaching is often uh, one pathway that more experienced clinicians get involved in research. And that's one way in. The other route, of course, is a bit like the route I took, which is through an academic registrar training program. And again, in Australia and in other countries, there are these formally funded programs that allow GPs to extend their registrar training program and get exposure to research um, and, and teaching and, uh, and potentially then to consider whether they really do want to pursue further uh, an academic career. The next step, though, is is a big leap, and that's deciding to do a higher degree, mm. either a master's or a PhD. And that, again, is a big challenge from a funding point of view and identifying the right supervisors mm. and really taking that big leap of, of faith in some extent yeah. and possibly a, a salary knock. <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth it in the end. It is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much for that, John. It was a really great summary into your own experience and some tips for budding academic GPs. So the final thing that we always ask our interviewees is what podcasts they might be listening to lately. So what's your, your most recent favourite well, one? I, I have probably two or three to mention. Okay, go ahead. When I'm, when I'm on a long car journey, I love listening to this BBC podcast called Desert Island Discs, mm -hmm. which is a long running show on Radio 4 where you're given the, the choice of taking uh, seven of your favourite songs uh, onto a desert island and a favourite book and a favourite luxury item. Right. So I've often planned what those would be for my <laughs> desert island. Probably uh, don't have time to go through them all. <laughs> yeah, that's for another day. <laughs> then uh, Philosophy Bites is so a, mm. a podcast that my son introduced me to, which is out of Oxford University and makes complex philosophical arguments much more understandable to people mm. like me. And then just a third final one, uh, every night my wife makes us <laughs> fall asleep listening to the archers. <laughs> <laughs> Very British answers. That's <laughs> lovely. So one of the podcasts I've been listening to lately has is a bit more local. It's another podcast produced by PC4 called Research Roundup. And one of the very recent episodes was about the Asprey trial and they spoke to one of the local authors. Uh, so I'd encourage everybody to tune in. Thanks very much, John. Thank you very much, Sibel. <laughs> that was Professor John Emery. Thank you for listening. Next time we talk to PC4's Dr Christy Milley. Thank you for listening to Cheers with Peers, produced by PC4. 
Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at PC4TG. Don't forget to visit PC4's website, pc4tg.com.au. Thank you.